Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we are going to complete and finish a series today. It's a three, short three-week series that we start on Father's Day, and it's called In the Belly of the Beast. So the last two weeks we've been in the book of Daniel. So if you don't uh, know what we're doing, the year 2022 is the year of the Bible here at First Century. We are going chronologically, book by book, through the Bible in this year every weekend. And so we find ourselves here in what's called the exile. So the Old Testament Jewish people have been overtaken by Babylon, the city of Jerusalem, their capital city where their temple is, their capital city has been burned to the ground and completely destroyed. And they find themselves captured and taken into Babylon. So God's people are in foreign territory. They're in a foreign nation, in a foreign culture. They are in the belly of the beast. And what we've discovered, we've been in Daniel the last two weeks, and we'll talk about him a bit today as well. What we've discovered is that we are much like living in the same day as they did then. It is almost a mirror image of what we see. Now, we're not captives in a foreign country, but our culture is very much a foreign culture to what most of us are used to. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the culture is very much foreign to what you believe and what you stand for and what, you, what your life looks like. The culture is increasingly going downhill. Uh, it is crumbling. Morality is decaying. Christian values are being devalued. So what you believe may have been popular 40, 50 years ago. It is not anymore. What you thought was common knowledge about decent morality and how the world's supposed to work and how God made the world to work is just not commonplace anymore. We're seeing that more and more, and it's even increasing as we go. So that leaves us with really an opportunity. It's a challenge, but it is an opportunity. And so the key idea in this series has been, and it is today, if you're a Christian, you're also automatically a missionary. If you're a Christian, you're also automatically a missionary. We are, even in the good old U.S. of A. that we're celebrating this weekend, and I love America. I love this country. I think the freedoms it affords is unlike any other nation that's ever existed. I think that uh, what we were built upon is unique in every way. Politically, it's unique. This is what they called an experiment when it first started almost 250 years ago. I think the way that it was built upon, I think the morality based on God's word is unique to any nation who's ever been created in the history of the world. However, we are going away from that. That's what this whole series has been about. We're in hostile territory, so there's a big job to do. So the last two weeks, we've been looking again at Daniel and his life in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, who was a young teenager who was taken from Judah to Babylon, trained to become a future Babylonian leader. And we saw that he was able to withstand this culture crumbling around him. He was able to withstand a king who, king after king really, who opposed his worldview, his way of life. 
and we saw that he was able to do three things. So I'm going to do a quick recap of the last two weeks, just like a minute or two, so that we can then have a refresher, because I'll refer to it a little bit today. So it's going to be helpful to kind of know where we've been to be able to go where we're going to go. So there were three traits that Daniel possessed that I believe we have to possess as modern-day followers of Jesus in order to not only survive and thrive in this culture, but to make a difference in this culture. So the first thing that Daniel did was he had the skill to see. And we talked about we have to be able to really soberly, accurately assess the situation. We have to see, sometimes read between the lines, even as we read the news and watch the news, as we even watch entertainment, we have to see what is that saying about the culture at large? What is the point of this article? Or what is the thrust even of this film? And what does it say about our culture and the direction of our culture and what our culture celebrates and thinks is important? It's important that we have this skill to see. But we also have to have spiritual eyes to see what God is doing and how he wants us to affect change in the culture. To see, kind of see the issues and then spiritually see how we can be a part of the solution to the ills in our culture. The second thing that Daniel did that we must do is have the strength to stand. And so it comes down to this. As we have the skill to see, we learn kind of what to do. But then we have to have the strength to stand to actually do it. And that may mean opposing powerful people. That may mean that we stand against things that the culture is increasingly okay with, that we just say, I can't go along with that. There's strength involved in standing for what is right and against what is wrong. But then that requires the third trait that Daniel had, and that is we have to have the stomach to sacrifice. As we mentioned last week, if you're going to stand, at some point, in some way, it will require sacrifice because culture will oppose you as you stand for what the Bible says. Modern culture, as it crumbles and decays on the foundation from which it's built, as we try to stay strong to that foundation, the culture will fight, and they will fight dirty, and it will be difficult, increasingly so, as we continue on in the culture. It may cost us to stand, but we have to be willing to sacrifice. So that's where we've been so far uh, the last couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit as we get going. But what Daniel sh has shown us the last two weeks is what to do. If we're going to survive and thrive in the culture, if we're going to really make a positive impact on the culture, that is what we do. What we'll look at today as we finish up the series is then how do we do that? How do I really find the strength to stand against the broader culture as it crumbles and decays? How do I really have the stomach to sacrifice? What does it take to pull this off? Not, not just what do we do, but how do we do that? And to find what that is, we're going to look at the prophet Ezekiel today. So Ezekiel and Daniel, they are living in the same time in Babylon. Now, Daniel, it seems, went maybe just slightly uh, earlier than Ezekiel, but Ezekiel's a young man when he is taken from Judah to Babylon, and he is God's prophet in a hostile territory. He is God's prophet in this time of exile when things are not so great. We're going to look at Ezekiel today. How many of you remember the show Fear Factor? Yeah, maybe about 20 years ago, it was popular. And, you know, if you don't know about the show, it's just simply people doing really odd or gross or maybe dangerous activities to try to win money. It's a reality TV show. And so, you know, maybe you would have to lay in a pit of snakes. And if you're like me, I'm like, I'm out, guys. Like, who would, who would volunteer to do that? I'm not doing that, right? Uh, or maybe they would have to eat some really, like, eat live bugs, you know, and see how many they could eat more than the other contestants to advance to the next level. Or they would have to eat like bull intestines or, you know, cow intestines. And it's just like stuff that you're like, that is, it's called fear factor for a reason. 
Or they have to do things at great heights and like tightrope walk or, you know, there'd be like all kinds of obstacles that were dangerous, you know, that sort of thing. So Ezekiel's life is pretty much Fear Factor B.C., Okay, Ezekiel's life, as we'll, we'll talk about a few of them to get started, kind of get our beak wet here a little bit, and then we'll examine one of them in greater detail to apply to our lives. God asked Ezekiel to do some crazy stuff. God told Ezekiel to do some messed up stuff on the surface, but he did it, and we'll see why it was so important and how we can apply it. Let me just give you a couple, and then we'll, we'll look at one in more specific detail. So in Ezekiel 5, God tells Ezekiel, hey, I want you to shave your head, shave all the hair off your head, and shave your beard. Doesn't seem, you know, it's, it's weird, it's kind of odd, but he says, here's what I want you to do. He's already had Ezekiel basically make a map of the city of Jerusalem. So this is just before uh, Jerusalem is overtaken completely and completely destroyed by Babylon. So he says, take, shave your head, shave your beard, and then divide your hair into three equal parts. And he says, take one third of your hair and put it right in the middle of the map of Jerusalem and light it on fire. Amazing. Okay, great. So then he says, take the second third of your hair and scatter it all across the map that you've made and then cut it up with a sword. It's kind of weird, but okay, God takes a third of his hair, puts it on there, cuts it up with a sword. Then take the last third of your hair and just throw it and scatter it in the wind. Really odd. So what's, what's the point? What is God trying to say here? Why is Ezekiel doing these weird things? Well, God says the purpose of this is to show what's about to happen to my people. So the first third that was burned in Jerusalem, he's saying Jerusalem's about to be utterly destroyed. Nothing but the foundation will be left. The second third of your hair that you scattered all across and cut up, as Babylon comes, they're a, they're a brutal people group. They're a brutal regime. So some of my people are going to be killed in this process of being taken over, especially if they resist or if they're kind of, you know, in the flames as the city's being burned down. Some of them will perish. The, the final third of your hair that is scattered into the wind talks about the rest of the people that will be scattered in Babylon through the exile. So again, God tells Ezekiel to do some weird, crazy things, but he has a purpose behind it. But then Ezekiel 4 is even weirder, if you can imagine that. So in Ezekiel 4, God tells him to do this. He says, so for the next, I think it's what, let me me make sure I got it right. Yeah, for the next 390 days, Ezekiel, you're going to go out, and this is after he's in Babylon, okay? So you're going to go out and lay on your side on the ground for 390 days. Now, last time I checked, that's over a year, right? Right. So he says, I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days, basically 13 months here, laying on your side. Then... After you're done with that 13-month little nap, flip to your right side for 40 more days. So the purpose of this odd request that gets odder in a minute, just hang on, is for every day that he's laying on either side, God is, is talking about this is how many years my people have sinned against me. So 390 days Israel had sinned against God before they were overtaken, and he's looking at then the last 40 years of Judah's existence, that he's tried to put up with them, tried to plead with them, tried to have them to repent, and they will not listen, they rebel and resist. He's going to lay on his side for over 14 months, one or the other, to to signify God's displeasure with his people's sin. But there's one more thing. A guy's got to eat, right? And God says, okay, I know know you're going to have to eat because you you can't not eat for over 14 months. So I'm going to have you go do some food prep. You ever get to do food prep before? You ever done food prep for 14 months in advance before? Probably not. Ezekiel did that. He says, go to the market and buy all the stuff you're going to need. You're going to make a simple, basically, bread cake to eat a little bit of every day, and you're just going to drink a little bit of water every day. 
So he says, whenever it's time for you to make the cake every day, I guess while laying on your side, he's doing this at the same time, every day you're going to have to light it with fire to cook, to cook the bread, right? To cook the bread cake. He says, now the fuel for your fire is going to be human feces. Now this is fear factor, BC. I, I wasn't kidding, guys. He says, you're going to use human feces as the fuel for your fire to bake your cake. You know, it's that, that nice earthy kind of tone to it you know i'm just trying to make it like food network here but it's not working and he says the reason i'm having you do this is because it's going to signify my people being defiled in babylon by eating unclean defiling foods as we saw a couple weeks ago or last week um, daniel had to make that decision am i going to do this or not and he stood that's one thing he stood against he didn't want to be defiled by eating these unclean foods but god says most of the people are just going to give in and eat the unclean foods and defile themselves and so then Ezekiel obviously says, God, is there not like another option here to light the fire with? Can we not do something different? And God says, okay, because he said, it's going to defile me if I cook this over human feces. So God says, okay, okay, I see your point. Instead, just use cow dung. No problem. Isn't that a better option? He's like, I don't know if that's much better, but fine. So for over 14 months, either on one side or the other, every day, Ezekiel, using cow dung as his fuel for the fire, bakes a small loaf of bread to nibble on every day and drinks a little bit of water every day for over 14 months. That's just one thing that he went through. This is fear factor. I wasn't kidding. It's fear factor BC. So let's look at one more thing, and we'll read the scripture behind it here, and it's going to be more applicable to our lives. I don't know how to apply the cow dung thing to your everyday life, guys, you know, except for just do what God says. That's like the only lesson I can glean from that in Ezekiel 4. Um, but we go back to Ezekiel 2 when, when he's basically commissioned by God to become a prophet. So God has this message for him. It starts in Ezekiel 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 6, and then we'll get into chapter 3. It just seamlessly goes along here. So let's read a few verses here and see the third kind of odd thing that Ezekiel experiences that will tie in to both Daniel and to us. So starting at Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6, here's what it says. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, do not fear them or their words. Don't be afraid, even though their threats surround you like nettles and briars and stinging scorpions. Do not be dismayed by their dark scowls, even though they are rebels. You must give them my messages, whether they listen or not. But they won't listen, for they are completely rebellious. Son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not join them in their rebellion. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, this is Ezekiel, then I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me. It held a scroll, which he unrolled. And I saw that both sides were covered with funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. Now we're getting to chapter 3. The voice said to me, Son of man, eat what I am giving you. Eat this scroll. Then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with this, he said, and when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said, Son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. Again, a very odd thing. It does seem to be an actual, physical, literal something that Ezekiel, in this vision, physically ingested, again, to prove a greater point. And I'm sure he was glad it tasted like honey and not like what he baked his cakes with every day, right? So I'm sure he was happy about that. So again, going back to Daniel, Daniel has shown us the last two weeks what we can do, what we can do to affect positive change in our culture. But Ezekiel is going to show us two things quickly today 
about how we do that, what it takes to pull that off. Because we can't do it on our own strength, with our own know-how and our own ability. We have to have something or someone greater than us propelling us forward to, to fulfill this mission of affecting positive change in our culture. So there's two traits Ezekiel has to show us how to do this. The first thing that we see here, what we just read, Ezekiel 2 and 3, is that he was filled with God's word. Again, these two things are going to seem fairly elementary, fairly simple, but I think the basics are what make it so powerful. It's not that you have to be this super-duper advanced Christian to pull this off to affect change in your culture. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus can affect change for a positive way in our culture if we can abide by these two simple things. Again, the first one is to be filled with God's word. And as we see, it seems that Ezekiel literally, physically ingested something. Was it an actual, did he really eat paper? I mean, I did that sometimes when I was a kid because I was really stupid, I guess. Um, you know, you just get bored at school and I would finish my work early and I would just, you know, piece of paper, just eat it. One time in kindergarten, true story, um, me being really dumb, we were going to the carpet for story time and I found this little shred of paper on the carpet and I just balled it up and stuck it in my ear. True story. Probably a week or two later, started having an earache. And I didn't think anything about it. I mean, I'm like six years old. What, you know, I don't put two and two. I mean, I literally can't put two and two together in kindergarten yet, guys. So I can't make this assumption. So I just, the, the, my parents take me to the doctor and they have this earache. The doctor looks in and he gets his tweeters and pulls out this little wad of paper. He's like, there's the culprit right there. So anyway, I know about ingesting paper, guys. So when I read Ezekiel, I'm like, I can relate to Ezekiel. I know what it's like to ingest paper and stick it in different orifices in your body, right? I know what that's like. So Ezekiel literally ingested God's word in this vision. But for us, it's a little bit different. I'm not saying go home and gnaw on your, you know, it's leather. It's like really hard to get in there. No. But here's the deal. Before Ezekiel could speak God's word, he had to know God's word in his head. And before he could speak God's word, he had to believe God's word in his heart. So when it comes to digesting God's word, it's not so much from mouth to stomach, it's from head to heart. That's where transformation, as we'll see, really comes from. That's the importance of God's word, the power of God's word. Think, let's go back to Daniel again and look at some of the, the traits that he had. He had to be filled with God's word, first of all, in order to have this skill to see. Because as, as we said a couple weeks ago, if you're going to have the skill to see the culture for what it is, you have to have some knowledge of what God thinks and what God says and what God wants us to believe about the world and about ourselves. So he had to know, and we have to know, something's not right here. Well, how do we know that? Because as we're filled with God's word, we can sense something's off. Maybe you can't even quite put your finger on it, but you know, you know, there's, there's some core belief here that this part of the culture is bucking up against. And the more that we pray about it and the more that we read the Bible about it, then it can become more clear, okay, this is the disconnect. This is where the resistance is coming in. This is the problem that needs to be solved. This is the positive change or the positive effect that I can have on the culture. We can know this as we're filled with God's word to grow in that skill to see that we already looked at with Daniel. It also, being filled with God's word, gives us the strength to stand as Daniel did. Because when Daniel and then also Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego last week, they were able to stand because they knew what they believed. Because they were filled with God's word. It wasn't just this idea of, you know, I just don't want to. I don't want to bow to the statue. They had a core belief inside of them that refused to allow them to bow to the king's idol. 
It went against their law that they knew. They had it memorized as young boys. They were filled with God's word. So it gave them the knowledge to know what is right and wrong, and then the strength to be able to stand against what was wrong. So as we're filled with God's word, we are armed with the knowledge to effect change, and then also motivated by a passion to effect change in our culture. But like we talked about last week, this process of being filled with God's word starts small and personal, and as we are changed by God's word, it then flows out of us to effect more larger public change. Let's look at this scripture from the New Testament, Hebrews 4.12. It says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the scripture here in Hebrews says the Bible is sharper than the sharpest sword. But what I want you to imagine the Bible is for your life is not a sword, but a scalpel. So one of the key tools, this is a key tool, the Bible, is God uses it to make us more like him. It's not a hacksaw where he just destroys everything about you. No, the scripture is designed like a scalpel in the hands of a trained surgeon to cut out those parts of you that are bad for you, to cut out those parts of us that are not good for anyone, to expose our innermost thoughts and desires that may at times be sinful. He cuts around. He's like, you've got some good qualities going. I don't want to mess that up. I've got to cut around to get to the part that needs to come out. And so as we read the scripture, we are convicted of our sin at times. As we read different stories about different people, we see that, oh man, I have that negative trait that they had that wasn't good for them. I know it's not good for me. So God, would you cut out maybe that greed that I have or that jealousy that's kind of growing? Would you cut that part out with the scalpel of your word? Maybe a bias that I've developed over a certain person or certain types of people. I know that's not good. I know it's not godly. I know it's not what you want for me. So would you, God, would you allow your word to kind of cut that part out and remove that for my good and your glory? God's word is a scalpel. It's not just a chore that we do. It's not just, you know, I did my Christian duty today. I read my, you know, three chapters and whatever. There's more value to the Bible than just another thing to do. I got enough things just to do, right? I don't need to add one more thing to just do. I'm going to prioritize what's important. And I see, and I hope that you see that God's word is important. That as he cuts those things out, I become more like him. That as he exposes those flaws and he convicts me to conform more to his image, then I can better be in a position to be healthy myself. So then we can begin to affect change. So my encouragement for you is if you're not regularly in the Bible, you are missing out. If you're not regularly, now here, I know that the Bible's long and big and daunting. I know there are parts that are not as enjoyable as others. I know there are some parts that we can apply more easily than others, but it's about building up uh, this spiritual discipline of Bible reading, ingesting it from our head to our heart. Not just gathering up knowledge and facts and memorization, although that's good, but that it's got to digest all the way down to our heart to be the bedrock of our core beliefs. We have to be filled with God's word in order to stand strong in this culture because the pressure is heavy, right? We are pushed against all the time. We are pressured to cave on all sorts of things all the time. So the more that we are filled with God's word, we know what we believe and we are convinced of that. That's important. Then we can make the change. One more scripture on this, then we'll move on to the second uh, trait of Elijah here. So this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is Paul writing here, and he says this, All scripture is breathed out by God, or it's inspired 
by God. And it's profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Even here, we see the first half is the inward part, right? He says it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. That's the inward part. That's God using that scalpel to change me, to mold me in the kind of person he wants me to be. And then the second part then gets to how we use the scripture to affect change in our culture. Because it says here, we are trained in righteousness. The Bible trains us, again, how to look at things differently, how to see things the way that God sees them, to see how we can affect positive change in our own little sphere of influence and where we live. We're trained in that by God's word. He says we become complete and equipped. So as we take those steps of faith on, I'm going to try to witness to my coworker, God's going to give you the words to say and the right timing to do that. As you think, you know, I've got this difference that I can make in my own family. God will give you the courage to make certain changes in your life, in your family, to affect positive change. He equips us, and we are complete. But then what are we trained and equipped for? For work. That's what we're talking about. We're trained and equipped for every good work. So it's not just, again, that we just build up this knowledge of the Bible and then just sit in our little bunker with our canned goods and wait for the apocalypse. The point of the Christian life is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's where the resistance comes in. That's where the strength to stand is a must. That's where the stomach to sacrifice is a must. It's work. But you can go out confidently that you are trained and equipped and lacking nothing in the work that God is calling you to do. You don't have to fear about, is this going to work? Or am I going to look foolish? Or are they going to accept me or reject me? None of that's going to matter if we're filled with God's word as we're trained and equipped, lacking nothing. We're filled with God's word. We have that confidence to affect change in our culture. Here's the second aspect or the second trait that Ezekiel shows us. And it's not one specific verse. As you read the whole book, you see this over and over again. Ezekiel was led by God's spirit. So first, he was filled with God's word. And the second trait that we need to adopt from Ezekiel is he was led by God's spirit. So as you read the book of Ezekiel, the, the word spirit in reference to the Holy Spirit or God's spirit is mentioned 24 times in the book of Ezekiel. That is by far the most times that God's spirit is mentioned in any Old Testament book, not even close. Even when you add in the New Testament books, after like the Holy Spirit falls, you think there's Holy Spirit everywhere in every book. There is, but still 24 times is the six most times of any book in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Ezekiel. So this is important to him. Ezekiel is constantly led by the Spirit. He's constantly carried sometimes by the Spirit. He is always spoken to by the Spirit. And then he always spoke through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was so important to Ezekiel. It was essential to him. It was everything. And we know from the beginning, as we, we read that verse in Ezekiel 2 and 3, God gives him a warning, kind of like he gave Jeremiah a few weeks ago. He's giving him the heads up. Hey, I want you to be faithful to do what I've asked you to do, but a lot of people aren't going to like it. And I want you to be faithful to say what I tell you to say, and almost everyone is going to hate you for it. The, the, the culture that you're going into, they're going to hate you. Your own people are going to hate you and reject you for it, but that's not the point. The point is that we are obedient to do what God asks us to do. So we have to be led by God's Spirit to do that. 
So Jesus also shows us this too. I've mentioned this before, but whenever I talk about the Holy Spirit leading us, thinking about Jesus, I always come back to both Luke 4 and Matthew 4. It's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But let's look at how Jesus got there. How did Jesus get into the wilderness? Why was he tempted by the devil at all? You might be surprised. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So how did Jesus end up in the wilderness? The Spirit led him there. Why was Jesus tempted by the devil himself? Because the Spirit led him there. Now that sounds counter to everything we might ever think about the Holy Spirit. He would never lead me into a dangerous situation. Wrong. He would never lead me into hostile territory. Wrong. He will always, you know, he'll always give you what you need. We'll get there. But it doesn't always mean there's going to be safety in that moment on the, in a physical sense. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the will. It wasn't like he got off track. It wasn't that he lost the GPS signal and went, you know, he took a wrong turn somewhere. No, the Holy Spirit led him there to, for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. So just think about that whenever you're in a, maybe a hostile situation, but you're like, man, God told me to do that. Great. That's it. Check that box. That's all that matters. There's only one box to check, and you checked it. The results of what happens aren't up to you. Like the, the effect of what happens isn't really in your control. What people think about you or say about you or do to you is not in your control. If the Spirit's leading you, it's eventually, in some way, somehow going to be okay. I can't tell you how or why that's going to happen because I ain't the Holy Spirit, guys. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it's just, just not how it works. We can't always see what God's doing, but as we are faithfully led by His Spirit, we're always going to be okay eventually. Let's go back again to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Were they led by the Spirit in what they did? Certainly. It doesn't always seem like it because every step along the way, they meet resistance. Every time they take a stand, they are opposed. Every time they make a choice and draw a line in the sand, it's literally their life on the line. You mean the Holy Spirit led them to do that? Yeah. They felt compelled by the Spirit to take the stands they took. They did what they did because the Holy Spirit led them to do that. They experienced what they experienced because the Spirit led them to do those things, to make those choices, to take those risks. They did that because the Spirit led them to do it. So being led by the Spirit just equals obedience, right? Just listening for the voice of God and trying to follow that leading. That's all that is. So here's an important key point I want to focus on for just a minute about our obedience to the to leading of God's Spirit. Safety or surety will not always follow our obedience. Your obedience may lead you into weird situations, dangerous situations, odd situations, oppressive situations. But here is what does follow obedience, and that is provision. Provision follows obedience. Let's recap one more time the three main stories from Daniel that we looked at the last couple of weeks. So Daniel 1, remember, he's ordered to eat the food that would defile him, and he says no. He makes that stand. Well, how did God provide for him? Even after he chose just to eat fruits and vegetables and drink water, he was still the strongest of the entire group. God provided through, because of his obedience. Daniel 3, when the, when the men didn't bow to the king's idol, they were faced with certain death. They were thrown into a furnace of fire to die. But how did, did God provide for them? 
He certainly did. The scripture tells us that as, he's, as they're in the fire, they're just kind of wandering around, walking around. They should be, the fire was so hot that the soldiers on the outside of the furnace died from the extreme heat. Yet these three dudes are thrown into the heart of this furnace of fire, and they're just walking around, like hanging out. Hey, you guys got any coffee or refreshments out there? You know, or, but they're not burning to death. They're not singed. And above and beyond that, there weren't just three guys in the fire, were there? The scripture records that when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, he said, didn't we throw three guys in there? Because I'm seeing four guys in there. And he says the fourth one, he says, looks like the son of God. And he didn't know it, but he was right. So it's very safe to believe, as most scholars would tell us, that that was a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ himself visiting these three young dudes in an impossible situation. God provided because they were obedient. And then in Daniel 6, when the edict came down from the king, if you pray to anyone for the next 30 days except for the king, you'll be thrown into a den of lions to meet your doom. And so when Daniel heard the news about the edict, he went to his window as always, like he did three times a day, and prayed to God anyway. So the king was forced to throw him into the den of lions. And then he, he like agonizes all night, knowing I kind of like Daniel. He was a cool guy. That wasn't cool what we did to him. It wasn't fair. So the next morning, he rushes to the pit and calls down, Daniel, are you in there? And not expecting to hear any answer, right? Why would you expect to hear him answer? But he did answer. Daniel said, yeah, I'm doing just fine. I'm just petting the kitties. You know, we're having a great time. They're purring like babies. They're asleep. They're, they're lazy cats. He says, God shut the mouths of the lions. He supernaturally provided what was impossible simply because Daniel obeyed. So safety may not follow obedience, but provision always does. So when you step out in obedience to what God is calling you to do, it may seem risky. There may be sacrifice involved. It might be awkward or weird or painful or difficult, but God always provides what you need as you step in faith to do what he's calling you to do with your life in our culture. You might object to that, and you might say, well, no, 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 no. Let's even look at the apostles. Look at the disciples of Jesus. They stepped out in faith, and they were all killed. So that, that doesn't follow. Let me just say this. Yes, they were led by the Holy Spirit. They did what he wanted them to do. They talked to who he wanted them to talk to. They went, they, everything that they did was led by the Holy Spirit, even to their death. But they were willing to suffer and die because they were being led by the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds odd to think in those terms in our country. Just hang on. Hopefully it's not till our grandkids, grandkids, grandkids get around here. But we will, start, we will at some point in this nation see persecution like the rest of the world sees. So we have to continue to be led by the Holy Spirit, he provided courage for the, the apostles to withstand the pressure and pain of death. And then ultimately, this is not a cop-out, it's just the truth, the Spirit provided them their eternal reward for their obedience. And even look at Jesus himself, right? God sent him, handpicked him for the mission, right? The Holy Spirit led him, empowered him for the mission he had, and yet he ends up dead too. So wait, now we're 0 for 2, Stephen, because you've said he provides, and you've said that he'll make a way, and all these people are, are dying. This is not making sense. So in one way, first, Jesus is sort of the cosmic reversal of this idea. So I want you to focus not so much on that God provided for Jesus and his obedience, but flip that around, that the obedience of Jesus meant he was provision for us. I'll say that again. It's not so much 
that God provided for Jesus because uh, he provided for him because of his obedience, but that the obedience of Jesus was that he was the provision. He is our salvation. He is our redemption. That was the whole plan all along, right? And Jesus sort of kind of knew that. It's pretty clear that he knew that. But in the end, the Spirit did provide for Jesus, didn't he? Because he's not dead anymore. I mean, that's like the biggest provision you could ever imagine. Jesus physically, literally died, buried for multiple days in the ground, in the grave, but the Holy Spirit provided resurrection power, literal, bodily, physical resurrection from the dead for Jesus. That's provision. So what that shows us is that even in those moments where we think he's not going to provide, just hang on because he will. When you think that the clock has run out, there's only zeros on the scoreboard, there's no more time, time is not a thing that God operates by. He does not need a clock. He doesn't use a calendar. He doesn't even care what time it is because it doesn't matter to him. He's above that. So when you think that God's late, he's not. Just hang on. Continue to be obedient. He will provide. When you think that the options are gone, there's nothing left, there's no more answers, what is God going to do? He will come in just in time and give you exactly what you need in every area of your life to fulfill his purpose for your life in the culture. He's faithful to do that. Let's recap as we close. This is the main idea one more time. If you're a Christian in this culture, you're also automatically a missionary. And that seems like a big job. It seems like it's too much. And without being filled with God's word, and without being led by the Spirit, it is too much. I cannot affect positive cultural change in my own power, in my own strength, with my own knowledge and wisdom. It's not enough. I will crumble. I will fall. I'll be crushed by the culture. But if I'm filled with the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're, or the, with God's word, and you're led by the Spirit, we can accomplish the work that God has for us to do. We're transformed and trained as we're filled with God's word, and we're empowered and provided for as we're led by his spirit. That is how we make that positive, powerful, cultural change that God is calling us to make with our lives. Let's pray. God, we do look at the world and even our own nation and the culture around us, and we do see it is deteriorating It is falling apart. Even as we celebrate our country, we know that there is so much work to be done. Even as we talk and talk about how wonderful a place it is to live, and it is, there is so much work to be done in our culture. We are crumbling. We are deteriorating. And we need your help in this nation. And you're going to use us to affect the kind of change that you want to make in our culture. You're going to use us to do that each and every one of us. And that sounds too big, and without you, it is. And it sounds scary, and without you, and sometimes even with you, it is. But help us to be filled with your word so that we have that confidence. I'm trained. I know what I believe. It's not just this idea. It's a core conviction that I am not, not going to give in on that. And I know why I believe it. And I can make sense of the world because I'm filled with God's word inside of me. That gives us the confidence and the preparation to stand strong in our culture to affect positive change. And God, I pray that we be led by your spirit. That when you say go, we will go. When you say speak, we'll speak. When you say do this, no matter how crazy it might sound, like Ezekiel, we would do it. We, if we are led by your spirit, you will always provide. 
We may not always, you know, sense safety or it may not always make sense on the service, but help us to just say, okay, God, what, whatever you're trying to do, I want to be all in. Whatever you're, wherever you're going, I want to follow you because that is actually the safest place that we can be. So help us as we try to stand in this culture and make a positive difference in this culture to be filled with your word and led by your spirit to make that positive change that you want us to make with our lives. So I pray that as we leave this place today that we would be encouraged and empowered like never before to make that change. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.